All right. This is John Stepling, and this is Aesthetic Resistance, and this is podcast 20-something. Um, I forgot to look at the time. It's probably 28. I don't know. I don't remember. Uh, but this is another um, podcast I was looking forward to because we have Corey Morningstar back in Toronto. Hi, Corey. Hey, hi. And uh, Hiroyuki Hamada in New York. Um, hi, Hiroyuki. Hi, John. So uh, let's uh, jump into this. We were all talking before the um, before we started recording about just being exasperated and and frustrated with with mainstream reporting news about everything uh and and the fact that that it it seems as though a lot of the population has forgotten that uh, the government lies all the time that they have a propaganda wing you know they have they hire Madison Avenue marketing firms to disseminate disinformation. They're the people that do that, not dissenting voices. Um, and and but but people have forgotten this, and uh, it it has it is a particularly acute right now because of of the COVID lockdowns. And I guess that's the place we start in a sense, but also of course, you know, um, the economic plunder and uh, theft going on. Uh, so let's jump into that topic right now, Corey, cause you were talking about that. Oh, oh God. Hi guys. As you're saying, I just feel so, um, just so miserable and off balance and off key and just so exasperated and frustrated and uh, just trying to hold it all together. You know, it's really awful watching everybody sort of the, the mental decline in people that I love. And it's um, really, you can really, at least I can really feel the damage being inflicted upon us. Um, it's to me, at least it feels like it's really getting a lot stronger. Um, right. Anyway, yeah, we we're talking about lying, and I was just saying how even, you know, even with Syria, you know, Libya, those recent things, how, you know, again, it's the same rinse, lather, repeat scenarios. Oh, you know, the the dictator is gassing his own people. You know, the army is taking Viagra, raping the women. Let's go. <laughs> we need to go save them. We need to go save them. Meanwhile, you have, and then, you know, you have the, the eco-fascists and faux left, you know, yes, yes, we must go save them. And, and then meanwhile, what you've seen, look what's happened to Yemen. No one gives a fuck, right? Look what happens right. in Congo. No one gives a shit. And so we literally have everyone, it reminds me of Simon Says, you know, what we learn when we're little, when we're in kindergarten out on the playground and in the class, Simon says, you know, and you stand and you wait, Simon says, jump, you jump. And it's, it, it seems like that, you know, we, we don't go march in the street until we're told by one of the 
um, NGOs under the, you know, created or in the pocket, the foundation created by the, pro you know, excess profits of the corporation, go march, and then we go march, and then don't march, and, you know, and then we all sit down, and it's, I'm really exasperated by it, you know, like, it's like advertising, who said media has to tell the truth, who said advertising is real, and that incubator thing that we saw in Iraq, you know, that was, who was yeah. that? Hilton Knowles. They <clears throat> yeah. lie. They lie. You know, media, instrument of the ruling class. It, ser it serves ruling class, serves capital, does not serve people. Well, what's amazing is you can tell people um, uh, that, you know, there, here are the names of the marketing firms, Ruder, Finn, Hill and Knowlton, et cetera. <laughs> and you can say, here's a list of the, the known admitted lies, you know, babies torn from incubators, yellow cake and Niger, mobile uh, <clears throat> bioweapon labs, uh, Milosevic is a butcher of the Balkans, and it goes on and on. I mean, the list is endless, right? Haiti, um, uh, Iraq, Iran, Syria, most of Africa, actually, Venezuela, yeah. Yeah. Bolivia, on and on, <clears throat> going all the way back to the end of World War II. On and on. On and on, you know, Cointel Pro, Operation Condor, Operation Gladio, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I was thinking the other day of, of this book, The Glasshouse Tapes, Lewis Tackwood's book. Um, I'm just throwing that out there because somebody said I, I should mention more book titles um, during these podcasts. So there's one for you. The Glasshouse Tapes, Lewis Tackwood. Uh, and, and it, but it doesn't, it, it, there is this curious phenomenon where, where people believe anyway. And um, of course, the, the problem with, with the COVID story is everybody's locked down in theory. Many people are locked down. Um, and, and any sort of grassroots organizing is stopped. You know, you don't really organize over Zoom, I don't think, very successfully anyway. Uh, and, and so nobody quite knows what any of these statistics mean. Whenever I delve into the statistics, I find contradictions. I find things that make no sense. I don't know. Ask somebody to, to explain the definition of a case. What is a confirmed case of COVID? Um, it's very hard to get an answer. I still don't know what, what definition is being used by anybody who is using it. And it's, it's not uniform. It's different everywhere. Um, and, and yet, the other contradiction is that I also know a lot of people uh, in the in the U.S. here, maybe fewer here. Norway is a is a rule following nation, that's for sure. But but even here, um, certainly in the U.S., I know a lot of people who are very skeptical, who don't buy the story. But they're relatively invisible in, in media, and and when they do speak up, and you know. Uh, on whatever platform in, in say social media, they are stigmatized, they are attacked. The, the trolls are out there um, uh, relentlessly attacking. Yeah. 
um, and and there is there is such a hostile, toxic quality to social media now. I I, I reluctantly post things and I try to get out of there because <sighs> I it's so depressing and so just toxic. And I find that toxicity affects me. I become toxic, yeah. um, and it's dispiriting to be sure. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah, like the one thing um, I know that the recovery rate, whether you look at who or CDC or whatever, I, I know it's always hovering well above 99%. The media could inundate that the populations with that. You know, mm. the recovery rate is, you know, in excess of 99%. And you could have, they could say that along all, you know, continually, but they don't because the message is fear. The message is stay home right? Um, to the, to the, you know, not to the rich, of course, they're doing whatever they want, but to all of us. And just basically, um, it's a terror campaign. Well, this for sure. <laughs> and I, I, but I think that, that I was on press TV the other day, last night, actually, I think it was <clears throat> talking about the protests in Washington, DC. And um, besides the fact that it felt very much like a psyop of some sort, uh, yeah. a false flag of some sort, and maybe only partly, I don't know, but, but that's how it felt. Uh, it felt inauthentic. And uh, I said, but, but the US population is traumatized anyway. We're, we're talking about a, a public that, that is really suffering um, uh, mental trauma at this point, psychological damage just from the lockdown it, it it happens in ways that that one is barely aware of the 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 repetitive sameness of each day you know each day feels like the day before and that feels like the day before that i hear all the time people say i don't know what day of the week it is um so so there's that uh, and and I said that that's that's one part of it. But the inauthentic quality, when you look at the images of the Washington, D.C. protests, it's the same feeling for me. This is, you know, my subjectivity here, the same feeling I get and have gotten since the covid story broke. I said this doesn't feel like a critical plague has hit people, you know? Um, uh, public uh, figures here, the, the political figures said, but this is a very serious situation here in Norway. And I thought, but, but it doesn't feel that way. I mean, I'm sorry. I can't shake that, that there is some dislocation um, in, in my head between what I'm being told and, and what I'm feeling. Uh, and, and there's a quote, and now I can't find it, from, from Camus and Myth of Sisyphus, where he talks about the, the, the intuitive, emotional feeling that, that one has, that it takes a long time for it to become part of your intellect, where you can articulate it. In, in some fashion. That's, that's how I feel. I'm waiting for clarity. I'm waiting for my own personal clarity because I, I no longer know what to say to people um, about this, except that, you know, I find it very hard to believe that, that 
that you, my interlocutor, uh, accept this story at face value because it doesn't feel real to me. I don't know. Hiroyuki, what do you think? I mean, I, you know, I, I, I totally get what you're saying and uh, I feel the same sense of uh, disorienta disorientation, uh, confusion, uh, 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 frustration, anger, um, and uh, I guess, I mean, that's part of the thing, part of the uh, uh, what's going on is uh, to destabilize, I guess. And um, um, everything is connected. And uh, when we try to uh, pin down one part uh, somewhere else, pop up and um, yeah. um, it, it, you know it, it's like we, we can't approach it with uh, language almost um, right no um, yeah <laughs> but I think that's um, that's true and um, uh, and, uh, and also the, um, there's a there's a question uh, um, I mean, we talk about how things are. We talk about mechanism of capitalism. Um, it's basically uh, uh, accumulated capital uh, inflicting uh, exploitation and subjugation uh, on many levels to perpetuate the structure of um, hierarchy. And... Um, but as we look at details, as we look at the current momentum, I, I, can't, I can't really see it as perpetuating. <laughs> in a sense, this is really destructive in a way, uh, sort of um, makes, me, makes me wonder what's gonna happen. I mean, yeah. I mean yeah. this, this, this whole momentum of um, exploitation relies on uh, financialization, basically, and uh, it's a it's a money game. It's not. It doesn't create anything, and uh, it's and it confuses people. It lies to people, and it's based on instability and lies. You know, it, the 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 basic traits are the basic momentum to hold it up hold up the, the whole thing. So, I mean, what's going to happen? You know, I mean, this is going to be bad, you know? Well, <laughs> and I, I, no, I, I, who, I, go ahead, Corinne. Yeah, and, a bit, I, and I, I wonder what people in, people who can uh, make policies, I wonder what they are really, you know, feeling and thinking, because uh, they <laughs> probably want to perpetuate the, the whole thing too. I guess that's why they're coming up with this scheme about green capitalism, which is uh, things to do with producing things. It's a industrialization of fake um, green direction. And also uh, we're talking about fourth industrial revolution. We're connecting things with uh, digitized world uh, networks. We have, we need devices. 
those things need to be produced and those things mm -hmm. will feed um, networks, people. And, but at the same time, th th there are lies and um, deceptions there and the destruction inherent to those things as well. So, you well, know- I, I don't, I, I, I don't mean to interrupt you. Um, there was a story, an article, I think it was in the Telegraph, might've been the Guardian, doesn't matter about how the very rich, um, high net worth people continued to party and do whatever they wanted over the holidays and have big parties on yachts. And they had, you know, bands hired to, you know, for these sort of select groups. And the, the article, you know, had photographs and, and um, that clearly nobody was social distancing or wearing a mask. There was none of that. It was just business as usual. And, and I thought, why that should make people really furious, right? Angry and, and revolutionize people's consciousness. Just that story. Uh, and yet it doesn't seem to. Right. It, it, it really uh, shows the fact that the, you know, the bigger lies, bigger lies create fear. Because well, I'll tell. Go ahead. You know, I'm sorry. Because I mean, you you don't want to believe that everything is lie. So people, you know, try to hang on to it as much as they they can. Because you know, like I, I'm an artist and I work in the studio. I don't question my operational framework when I <laughs> face my canvas. You know, I'm not going to go in. Well, this is just two dimensional. You know, I'm right. not going to be going along with that. But if I'm trying to get things done, I do go along with certain things. So there is this sense of uh, practicality, which is exploited uh, in this capitalist hierarchy. People are forced into situations in which people need to protect their territories. People attack people who are more oppressed than them and uh, people need to obey in order to protect what they get little 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 of things uh from the authority so it but people don't want to admit that because if if you do it means you're questioning the whole thing <laughs> it's um but we do well, i had over the over the holidays i had my in-laws um, I, I had mentioned over, you know, a turkey dinner, you know, between, you know, past the gravy, um, how, you know, Jeff Bezos and several other already billionaires had, had, you know, quintupled their profits since the lockdown, right? This is a well-known story that's circulating. And the comment from, um, uh, my in-law was, well, you shouldn't, you shouldn't diss people for being smart, <laughs> <laughs> that sort of ended that branch of conversation actually but um anyway Corey. okay so what i've noticed is oh god where to begin so much in my head um okay about the people you know even huxley i think made some sort of comment that you know the populace doesn't really um they're not they don't really mind fascism all that much, right? And so what I'm finding is 
especially what really is making me angry is, and I'm, you know, so, oh, I, I, I'm so frustrated that no one seems to care is this whole global education coalition that's now taking over the whole global education system. I mean, they're literally taking over the minds and they'll be educating, shaping, molding your children's minds, right? And I'm talking Facebook, Microsoft, World Bank, right? These are the founders mm -hmm. of the coalition, which was obviously created, um, you know, Zoom, Ericsson, um, IBM, McKinsey, anyway, um, you know, one, Sesame Street, Siemens, anyway, it was obviously created way before the pandemic was announced, right? It was um, launched on March 25th of last year. And what I've realized, and, you know, I think about this stuff for days. I, I think about it in my sleep. This stuff, it just, I mean, it's all I do is think about this stuff, you know, driving, <laughs> driving myself insane. But, you know, I'm like, why would people care now? These are this, why would parents care children you know, four-year-olds, six-year-olds running around looking for their tablets, you know, they're already addicted. They're on the yeah. phones. I mean, four-year-olds, three-year-olds, two-year-olds, six-year-olds, you know, they don't have jobs. They don't have credit cards. They don't have cars. They don't go to the stores. They don't um, have any, um, they're not in this, they have nothing to do with the stuff coming into their hands, right? That's the parents, that's the adults. They have no means to get it. They have no money to get it. All this stuff is um, put put on them. And so, you know, what I realized with this, um, this huge thing going on right now to get every, all the kids now, I mean, secondary university, they've been bringing everybody online, online, online. Now it's a push for the elementary school children to go online. This is all permanent, right? As they continue the demolition of bricks and mortar uh, of real you know, physical structures and get everyone on, online. Um, what, I, what I realized there, this is actually more than about us. This is about the complete capture of children for the fourth industrial revolution going forward. That is actually what I found through my research and what I'm reading and seeing is happening. There's in the last couple of years, they've created this thing called Uplink and it's created by Deloitte, Microsoft, World Economic Forum. And it's going to be this huge platform, sort of like um, TikTok or Facebook along that line. That's going to actually, I mean, they've, they've seen that they don't have their trust of the youth and children and they're bringing them on board sort of like MTV, what MTV did to shape and mold your children and, and, you know, ensure misogyny stayed in the system and in the minds and, and sort of captured the children. If you remember MTV just said, we own your, you know, we own them. We, we own them. They, right. we influence them more than the parents. And now they're doing the same through these groups, one young world. That's been around now since that was created by David Jones, who was the former um, executive of Havis Advertising, which is the largest agency in the world. They created the climate campaign back before COP15, tick, tick, tick. They cut out the NGO and created One Young World. And it's like this um, rock, it's like this rock concert for kids, right? And they fly kids in from all over the world. And they've been, you know, and they fly in the royal family and they, 
flying, you know, rock stars, bands. I mean, it's what every kid dreams of. And mm. so they've got Global Citizen, One Young Role. They've got Uplink. They're like literally capturing and molding the children. No one even notices. Right. What, what parent knows what their kid is looking at on the phone? Right. Like mm. it's a direct connection to the children, you know, whether it's a computer, laptop, phone. Right. And no, I, it's, it's, and this of course is a trend that has, has been in place for a while. Um, when they started marketing to, to children, um, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, and it now of course is accelerated to, to what you describe. Uh, and no, it's horrifying. And, and, uh, I see it. I see it with my kids. It's subtle here. It's not as blatant as some places, but it's there. Uh, and, and uh, I, you know, it, it, this kind of bleeds into some of what we talked about last time with, you know, the, and also something Hiroyuki just mentioned too about mystification um, that, because I see it in writers um, who are suspicious and critical of the system, who understand that that something is going on uh, and it's not good. And they, for various reasons, different ones have different problems analyzing it. But um, my pet peeve at the moment is whenever anybody starts mentioning gaming, well, they're going to game this to, you know, figure out. And I'm thinking that's just pure mystification. This is just my aside, actually. Um, because all that means is they're they're evaluating options, you know, which people have always done, and corporations have always done, businesses have always done. Is is nothing, you know, but it's given a special vocabulary and a and a special mystified pseudoscience, which is game theory, um, and and it's 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 also part of um, it's it's part of the whole AI uh, marketing, the 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 sort of indirect selling of this fantasy um that that ai will soon you know will all have a global brain and um and it's the jetsons i always say it's like the updated version of the jetsons uh and one of the things that that these various mystifications achieve is to erase a huge chunk of the world um, the developing world, the people who live on a dollar a day, which is most of the humans on the planet, just about, um, these people become ever less visible. They are simply not part of this, this, uh, this manufacturing of uh, a pseudo reality. And listening to the description of, of, of these kids you know, this educational, new educational thrust um, reminds me of that because it's, it's, it's part of manufacturing a worldview um, of, of reality, of history, and of the world. The world is a certain kind of world that a lot of people de facto are disappeared from. And, uh, and it's, it's pernicious and it's becoming more firmly embedded in in uh, 
the, the discourse than it's ever been before. Um, yeah, like I like would people, agree. If they, if they don't own a phone, they don't exist. Anyway, yes, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, when I hear, okay, so I hear people talking about these things, like, um, when you're talking about the mystification and that, and how that sort of seduces people, right, it, it brings people over the side, we're talking more about, first and foremost, instilling in children and youth, a uh, very corporate capitalist ideology, right, and erasing class altogether, like, that's the main thrust of everything, I mean, at One Young World last year, the year before, the they gave an award to, um, what's his name, Guido from Venezuela. Like, this is what the kids are learning, right? It's like um, embracing um, fascism and imperialism, capitalism, all these things, you know, so it's part of their, like, the air they breathe. They don't know, they won't know anything else. And... Um, when when I hear people say, oh, well, if we do, you know, if we allow this to go forward, um, the social impact bonds and blockchains, that then we'll all be participating in this exploitation. Well, we already are. <laughs> that's already that's all that's already here. That's been here for a long time. Right. So it's not if this, um, you know, technological um, vision um, comes into full being that that will happen that's already happening now we're already part of that exploitation we're you know it's you know what i'm trying absolutely to say? and no but it you know when before we started hero yuki and i were talking about um like the creative process because you know he's a he's a painter and sculptor i'm a writer and and i find it ever harder to to get hold of this impulse to begin to write. And part of it is because I feel the world has dried up. It's really not my creativity that has dried up um, so much as, as this suffocating sense of, of, of mediated experience. It's, 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 um, and it's, it's exhausting. One feels that it, there is a constant assault on your person from this stuff. Uh, and this is what the lockdown achieves too, because people are glued to their screens even more than before. Uh, and, and you know, I saw a thing the other, the other day in the Guardian, an article, I think I posted it somewhere about. Um, a food critic is finding that she can travel the world um, from her kitchen by buying, you know, online all these foods from various exotic places and making dishes from Thailand or China or, you know, Argentina. And it's just like traveling, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the implication by the end of the article was it's not just like traveling. It's better than traveling. Um, and it's better than traveling. The unspoken punchline was it's better than traveling because you don't have to meet all those unsavory, dirty, poor people out there. Um, and it was very obviously, you know, a, a message. Now, are people consciously constructing this kind of propaganda? I, I, yeah, but it's probably happening um, on its own as well. Uh, and, and this touches on COVID too, you know. Um, but yeah, it's already happening. It has already happened. And it's part of why we feel the way we feel, why we feel disoriented and, and um, 
miserable in a sense and and traumatized because we are traumatized we are constantly being assaulted and we are all in various ways glued to our our screens because there's nothing else we're not allowed to go anywhere else really i mean i'm stunned when i see the situation in the uk and these you know photos of empty streets and closed pubs and i think the culture is being gutted it's just being destroyed in the u.s i read um 130,000 restaurants are going out of business almost all of them are family-owned businesses are, are small restaurants that have been around for a long time and they're the ones going bankrupt so uh it will be the franchisation of all um all food consumption, everything's, you know, going to be the same out there for the proles, you know, for the, for the people, um, the rich, of course, will have their private chefs to whatever it is they want. On and their and that's been, that's been the plan since the beginning. I remember last March on um, David Jones, same person, one young world have us, um, B team. He was on the Facebook, um, advisory board. Anyway, he has a consulting firm now and he sent out, um, uh, you know, to his list uh, email, and he sometimes has these cartoons with to it. And even as soon as it started, the cartoon was of a great big um, wrecking ball smashing a building, right? And it was just, um, if you're non-digital, you're gone, right? So that's nope. all the independent business. And then what really pisses me off? I mean, I'm so I'm so mad. Like we we know this is by design. They haven't even hidden it. It's there. It's out in the open. It's by design, right? Bricks and mortar, um, finished. Right. And and then I think, but but why should people care now? They haven't cared. That's why we have Amazon. That's why we have Walmart. That's why we have Costco. There's not poor people shopping at Costco. There's people with money there. I mean, yeah. I remember the first. I went there probably 20 years ago with a friend. And she, she laid down like 1200 bucks, right. On, on one like grocery trip or whatever, that's not poor people going to Costco. Right. And so we've, you know, and I, and I'm trying to be careful here. Like I know we aren't responsible for the system, right. That we're enslaved in, but at the same time, why do I think people care now about small business? you know, about the cafes and everything, especially in my city where I live is all big box. It's a testing city and people love big box and they, they, you know, it's really tough here for small business and independence to survive. Um, it's all two coffee shops. There's hardly any cafes that survive. And right now those cafes that are there that struggle are locked down and, right. and then Starbucks and Tim Hortons have fucking, um, Line, car lineups around the block you know what i mean yeah um anyway it just infuriates me that those are our that's our community those are our neighbors are you know our friends relatives those cafes those small independent shops and everything not costco not amazon not not tim hortons all that money that just fucking um exploits people sorry i'm swearing so much i'm so pissed off about it all that money that leaves the country. Um, but then again, we, you know, a lot of people haven't been supportive of the small business. So as long as they have, you know, their, their money and food in the house, I guess they're okay with being locked down for a while. Well, I think, you know, the, the, the richer you are, the less you experience, um, 
the lockdownedness of um of the lockdown i mean i have a friend in la who's very very affluent rich probably um and he admitted he said oh, everything's pretty much the same for me you know um and and he said i'm really glad you sent me these articles and talked to me because i didn't realize how many people are suffering blah 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 and i thought right okay well um you know, the culture, the destruction of the culture is acute. And this also has been going on for a long time. You're right. I mean, I remember when bookstores started disappearing, going bankrupt, um, not just independent books, just any bookstore, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, textbook stores, university bookstores, and what was left barely met the criteria of, of a bookstore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I've spent a huge chunk of my life um, <laughs> bookstores when I lived in London um, I, at Tottenham Court Road I would spend all day there going from one bookstore to another these extraordinarily great bookstores up in Berkeley on, on a Telegraph they had incredible bookstores even in Los Angeles there were amazing bookstores um, some in Westwood some down in Venice and uh, it was a great pleasure. And you would run into people at these places. You would run into friends or people that you recognized. And, and um, it was uh, the sociability factor was very high. And that's gone. That's gone. And that's been gone for 25, 30 years, really. Um, in the 70s, when I lived in New York, pretty much bookstores served as, as a, uh, how you got in touch with people. You'd see somebody that knew somebody else and you'd say, oh, if you run into so-and-so, will you tell them I'll be over at St. Mark's Books later this afternoon? Well, um, everybody did that. And, and it was a culture in which people talked about books um, and, and shared books and gave each other books. And that was a profound shift uh, when, when those stores started disappearing. And um, it's rare these days to see an interview with anybody, um, especially on mainstream media, where you see a bookcase in the background. I mean, you almost never do. Yeah. Um, it's 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 like um, an artifact from the past, and uh, and so we're we're really now transitioning into. Um, into this this new reality very rapidly. I mean, that's the other thing that I think causes our anger and, and frustration is how quickly this happened this last year, how this last year, the, the changes that were put in place happened so extraordinarily fast um, because you can feel how, you know, terms like social distancing are never going away. And that um, intimacy has been um, permanently damaged, the idea of it. I mean, I see kids who are high school age wearing masks, walking around, and I think, man, you know, high school was tough enough. (laughs) Now you have to wear a mask to high school. Um, It's just horrific. It, it further intensely traumatizes the, the, the students, the kids. Um, it's like, it's like we're in a vice and every day they, they turn it, you know, an eighth of an inch every day. Right. And it just keeps tightening, tightening, tightening. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what certainly my experience of it. And, and as I say, I'm in, I'm in Norway. 
and it's relatively um, uh, inobtrusive. I mean, the, all the policy, but it's getting worse. It's it's suddenly, um, you know, when when they closed the border to Sweden ten months ago or so. There were a lot of people, Norwegians, who were angry because they own property, they own cabins in in Sweden. And they wanted to go there over the summer and whatever. And they couldn't do it. Um, and and I hardly hear a peep anymore. People are defeated, you know. And the prime minister said, "Yeah, it might be till 2022 before we can visit Sweden again." Yeah. And people just kind of nod numbly now because. Um, because they've been defeated, they've been beaten down, psychologically beaten down, I think. It's, it's, and it's, you know, I did an interview for a Norwegian paper today. <laughs> I'm going to be curious at the reaction because I, I said a lot of things that like I'm saying right now, and I don't know what the reaction will be. It'll be interesting. Um, but uh, I, the sense I have that my wife has already is that we're, we've been slightly ostracized and pegged as as troublemakers somehow um well in in canada i'm not sure where it what it's like um in new york here yuki maybe you can chime in but in quebec over christmas i saw a video of i think seven cops went into a house and physically you know dragged a person out because they had six people instead of five um you're seeing the same thing happen in toronto parking lots um all kinds of and i mean people <laughs> it's again just becoming normal you know this is the way we live now you know and then meanwhile we've got uh, mayors and politicians like you said john like flying all over the world and taking their holidays and going to disneyland and everyone i guess is okay with that um not yeah. that. well i mean it, it it's um it's strange that there is a, there is a there is a a contradiction at the heart of this is what I struggle with because I, as I say I know a lot of people certainly a lot of working class people in in Norway all over the world I hear this from people all over the world I have friends in a lot of places that I hear from I hear the skepticism I hear the anger I hear um, that, that people don't buy the story. They're terrified of this sort of impending, you know, feudalist future that, that looms. Um, and, and, uh, and yet, you know, what does one do? And, and, and there's a sense of they, they have no idea what to do or, or, and they're afraid, you know, they're afraid for whatever passes for a job that they might have. And, uh, you know, I don't know, but when I, when I talked today um, or last night on press TV about, about the, the, the DC protests, I said, look, you know, 60 million jobs have been lost. Um, there's no universal health care. There never has been in the United States. Um, I don't, you know, people are desperate they're they're losing their homes they've lost their businesses they've lost their jobs people with families are living out of their cars under freeway overpasses more and more and more the homeless situation was already gigantic and now it's just you know unimaginable and um and so the 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 um i said what what does 
what does Biden, what, what does the U.S. state think they're going to do with these people, with this surplus disposable population? What are they going to do with them? Um, you know, what is the plan? And, and uh, one can only assume based on, you know, the, the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina uh, that they're going to ship people to FEMA camps. And so, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, but but there's an awful lot of people that can't pay their rent and, and can't pay, make their car payments and can't pay their insurance, um, health insurance, car insurance, anything. Uh, and are, you know, are, are landlords going to, to just, you know, give them an indulgence for a couple of years? Um, $600, $2,000 is not going to do anything to help these people. Uh, so, so I think we're looking at um, massive spikes in in things like domestic abuse and and alcoholism and drug addiction and OD, all the diseases of despair, uh, and and there will also be organ at some point there's going to be real resistance and and sort of semi at least semi organized. Um, rebellion against this this stuff um and so what do the politicians think they're going to i mean what is the plan exactly does one imagine because i'm not sure yeah that's where i was sort of uh you know keep wondering and uh the one thing i uh listening to you two talking about uh perceptions uh i think i i was sort of not uh too conscious about the perception management for the rich. They, they get management uh, as well. They tell each other that this is fine. We're doing things, things will be fine. And many policies are going forward and they live in, in a world that's very different. They don't have to be in line wearing masks. They are not going to be get yelled at uh, for not wearing masks. Uh, they, you know, they don't get get in trouble with treatable diseases, um, all those things. So they actually don't see what's going on. And we're talking about people who have been inflicting enormous pain against people in different places. Um, I mean, you know, the the tremendous uh, atrocities have been uh, inflicted by those people. And so it is, it it is a very, very bad situation. And um, um, that's one thing. And another thing is, that we are in this situation in which uh, everything is under capitalist order. And um, I uh, consider fascism as a part of capitalism. There, there is one end, there's fascism, and there's one end, uh, social democracy. And the capitalists use this momentums to forward what's going on. They use stick and carrots and 
And if we don't realize this situation and only focus on what's coming, forgetting about what's going on, historical path and all that, we can perhaps prevent the worst of it, but we will tolerate what's going on and maybe things are gonna be worse. So it, it's a really, really difficult situation. There's no way around. We have to see the whole situation as it is. And that's well, no. I'm sorry. Go finish up. Go yeah, ahead. I mean, that's what's but, missing. You know, it's that's an important see, point. Yeah, that's to see and, the whole hierarchy. Eating. And this is why. This is why. Um, so much of this is why there's this whole discussion about education. We've we've talked to Molly about it and other people. You know that that it's really important that because um, there are people who are sort of self-identify as dissenting voices in the opposition. But when you break down what they write, it's, it's actually reasonably reactionary um, because they don't, they don't have a background in enough stuff. They're not, they're, they're educated enough. And I understand that it's very hard. And it took me, you know, I'm 69 years old. It's taken me a very long time. And um, if, if I were 30 years old today, uh, you know, there's so much catching up to do and, and it is hard, but it's why the sort of the, our role in, if, if that's what it is to, to further education is so important and, and why it's important to say, you know, I think this person is may perhaps well-meaning. This person is really good, but this is a really reactionary position. This is this is, and this is why you know, and and go through the reasons. Um, and again, you know, Marxism. There's an enormous wave of anti-Marxist um, sentiment out there, and and uh, I don't I don't see how one makes sense of the, the full implications of like what Corey writes if if you don't have a background, at least the fundamentals of Marxist um, um, thinking, I don't see how um, you, you, you get that full picture. I just don't see how you do. And, and this is, this is one of the dilemmas, but it's, but it's why it's really important, I think, to keep, um, to keep cranking out podcasts for whatever it's worth. And certainly to keep cranking out this writing, you know, that's, <laughs> it's ever harder to do um, because I think we all feel this, this psychic fatigue and, um, and yet, and yet uh, that that's one of the things that has to be done. And I was thinking about this guy in New York who refused to close his gym. Right. And he got a court order and he, he tore it up. And anyway, he won the case. He was allowed to keep his gym open. And he's some kind of probably right-wing knucklehead. But, um, but I thought there's a lesson there, you know? Um, you really do, people do have more power than they think. There's more of us than there are of them. And I think people need to, to be reminded of that all the time and to quit being so fearful people are so afraid people are so afraid um i i it's just palpable um i feel it every day from somebody this is fear of being stigmatized called a name 
attacked on social media or whatever um people are terrified by it they've been they've been terrorized and and they're they're shell-shocked you know it's like ptsd um they they can't handle it and i get it i get it um anyway corey what what I want to get well, back. I don't know. I was just thinking how unfair it is for people that have um, tiny shops and diners and cafes to be shamed like that and be told they're, you know, whatever, even in Canada, you're pro-Trump. I mean, we're, we're Canadian, <laughs> you know, <laughs> American. And it's like, so because you want to keep your business, maybe it's, you know, even if it's not a family business that's been handed down generation after generation, it's your business that feeds your children you know, it holds together, it creates community value. Why do they have to be shamed and be framed as right wing and everything? It's all part of the, you know, that's all part of the framing to keep people, um, you know, keep people quiet, keep people sh to make sure people shut up, you know, and don't unite together. Um, right. You know, Ray Dell, if you, if you look at the things that these people have been talking about, investment fund managers and World Economic Forum, and what's his name, Ray Dalio, Dalio I think his name is, um, what um, Larry Fink, BlackRock, for years, one of the main, main things they've been talking about is their fear of, of revolt, right? That is their fear that people are going to say, this is no, no more, we're not tolerating tolerating this any longer and there's going to be a full-fledged revolt and they are going to lose their position right they're going to lose um the capitalist um system will fall they're going to lose their own position and so i mean it's ironic isn't it that we all feel like we're so helpless when when on the other side they're so afraid of us you know Go on, go on. I was just um, a long time ago. I mean, there's a great big bookstore. What we were what you were talking about, all the bookstores closing, and where I live, most of the bookstores have all shut up. There's only a couple left, and this great big what's it called? It was called Chapters in Canada, and then it became Indigo. And um, it, anyway, it it took over everything. It swallowed up every single bookstore in the city, just like, you know, just like all the other provinces, I'm sure right across Canada and, and other countries as well. Um, anyway, I went in there about, I don't know, within the last couple of months, I wanted to see if you could order my book there because the person that published my book said, if you go any bookstore, you can ask, give them the what's it called the ISB number or whatever and they can order that book so I went in there because it's the biggest bookstore and asked if I could order that book my book that I wrote and um of course they you can't right and anyway <laughs> I noticed in that bookstore because I hadn't been in it probably in I don't know 15 years anyway there was a great big kids section it used to be all full of kids books and I noticed now that whole section is all toys there's hardly any books which right. which tells you kids don't aren't reading books anymore, right? right. Yeah, it's all toys, the whole thing. And I thought, wow, yeah. No, no, it's it's. I mean, and the toys themselves are ever more horrifying. I have to say. I mean, I've talked about that before, but um, now in the you know with just having Christmas 
um <clears throat> you know uh it, the the stuff go to a toy store you want to get depressed go visit a toy store uh and it's very hard to find um regular normal toys anymore for kids yeah you know, like a beautiful um, toy right yeah something beautiful something those handmade. kind of wooden blocks yeah. you used to get in kindergarten in the united states probably in canada too um it's almost impossible to find those anymore you know and they were designed by this educator who who wanted to teach a sense of um space and and geometry and shape and how it all tied together and and uh that's gone you know now you have very loud toys are very loud these days um they all have and plastic right and they're plastic and they're loud yeah, yeah. pretty much um but yeah i i think that this is this is the great conundrum here is people have more power than they realize and yet they're they've been um so so brainwashed so indoctrinated so made fearful um that and it it, it i'm struck daily by the power of the image of the mask that that hides people's expressions and uh is a further you know form of of erasing intimacy and and closeness and connection and you know you can't you can't flirt with anybody if you're wearing a mask you can't have you heard of um have you heard of the, the term face blindness yeah i think but go ahead yeah and then there's a medical term actually like um some type of patholo uh, real pathology I'm just sort of thinking lately of that in um, respect to the ongoing conditioning and engineering reshaping of society and how that impacts. I mean, it's already recognized as it will be very detrimental to children developing, their brains developing, the space blindness will definitely impact that. And I'm just, yeah, and I'm just wondering exactly, you know, what does that serve? Who does that serve? Well, I mean, you know, there there were um, a number of psychologists. Joyce McDougall is one who I was very fond of, who I think highly of. That's another name on the book list. But and and she wrote a lot of, about autism, but a number of other things too, uh, connected to uh, adults sort of frozen expressions that increasingly society people didn't weren't as expressive with their faces as they were a hundred years ago. Uh, and, and that mothers um, that, that this loss of affect was, you know, acutely affecting infants. And I'm thinking, what does the mask do? You know, what if your mother's face is a mask? Um, uh, it, it's horrifying. And, and what it does essentially is, is create, um, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? It sort of halts it. It brings to a halt, a certain natural maturation process. Psychically. Yeah. Like a, the human bond, the human connection. And it, it, it creates extraordinarily, um, unstable personalities and, and people that are distrustful and paranoid and, and, and all the rest, but it has, it, I'm, I'm simplifying it profoundly. Yeah. Well, if you guys watch, do you both watch the, that on Gabor Matei 
lecture he did recently? Yes, yes. Well, yeah. I love him anyway. So, I mean, that demonstrates as well the coming huge um, health fallout, you know, physical health, right? The mental health, health impacting our physical health. And so we're going to have this huge health fallout, you know, um, afterwards. I mean, we talk about overwhelming the healthcare system. And there we're creating this huge fallout, you know, by these actions anyway. No, I mean, I think I think that this is going to the lockdowns, I mean, very clearly are going to negatively impact people's overall health. I don't think anybody can argue against that. Uh, it, it, It already has done so. And and I what I hear anecdotally and one can, you know, take what one wants from this. But anecdotally, I hear repeatedly um, from friends in the U.S. that all of their friends are drinking, taking prescription medications and are depressed. Um, The the U.S. population is acutely depressed because of the lockdowns. Why anybody would think that wouldn't be the case kind of amazes me because, of course, you're going to be depressed. I'm in Norway. I'm depressed. Uh, and and there is this sense of unreality that that unreality has has been in play for 40 years. Edward Said said in the last interview he ever gave on the BBC when he was in pain and sort of drinking morphine, much like that other guy, the playwright whose name escapes me, um, uh, the guy who wrote Pennies from Heaven. Anyway, um, then the singing detective, Dennis Potter. Um, uh, but Saeed said, uh, uh, the, the interview concluded with the, the interviewer saying, what's your final thought? You know, the implication being you're dying and, you know, what's your summation? He says, I am overwhelmed with the feeling of unreality in Western society today. And, uh, and this is, you know, this is 30 years ago or something. So, uh, it has only gotten worse. I mean, that's the thing. Uh, I keep, you know, Adorno and Horkheimer were writing about the culture industry 60 years ago, 70 years ago. People, you know, Guy Debord wrote that book in the 70s. Um, uh, his that comments on the society, his second book, and and uh, so this stuff has has been known. I mean, Debord, when you read that. Um, it's as if he could have written it yesterday. I mean, except that, except that it's far more, it's of a magnitude much greater than he ever imagined, I think. But, but you know, that what are the plans? What is going to happen to this global surplus population? I mean, we know that, that Gates and all of these people have pretty eugenicist, um, thinking and policies in mind they believe you know intensely about depopulation there's no reason to think they're not going to try to do that Uh, we are suddenly faced with the the enormous power of people like gates and bezos and whoever and and the, the foundations and ngos and institutions they represent and help fund um they wield incredible power and and they're they're seriously damaged human beings all of them from everything i can tell um gates is is nuts and i defy anybody to argue that one uh and yet you know he's going ahead with his plan to 
dump chalk dust into the atmosphere to dim the sun. I mean, gosh, what could go wrong? Um, so it's it's scary, and and people have to stop um, accepting the 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 primary tenets of the discourse. They have to recognize their own power. They have to, you know, stop being fearful and simply say, okay, you know, I'm not going to wear a mask when I buy my broccoli. I'm not going to make my kids wear a mask. I'm going to complain if my kids are treated like they're in a prisoner of war camp instead of kindergarten. Um, you know, that they have to speak up. But and why is it, John? Why? Okay, so you have the head of the children's hospital in, in Canada, which is the mm. most prestigious children's hospital in the whole in the whole um, country. And he says, we have to stop living in fear of the virus. Right. We have that, you know, it's not going to go. We have to stop living in fear. Um, you know, you have other doctors saying most people fully recover. Um, you, you have an ER doctor a couple of weeks ago saying the ER is empty. We, this is, you know, children have to go back to school. He's um, opposed to the lockdown. So why do people prefer the other message? Like, why do they discount that? They don't want to hear it. Like, what is behind that? Yeah, this is a this is an incredibly important question. And again, I mean, it's it's a it's a it's the question. And again, one of the problems is that we we don't know how many people do believe it. Right. Clearly, a lot of people do. And it may break down the belief and, and intensity of belief probably breaks down along class lines. I'm, I'm willing to accept that. I think the working class, the blue collar working class, the lumpen proletariat, I think these people are the most skeptical. I think the, the educated white 30% um, of, of the sort of hot bourgeoisie and their children are the ones that are A, most screen damaged and B, uh, the ones who, who for a variety of of reasons that it would take several podcasts to dig into, but maybe we should do that. Um, these are the people most prone to believing the story, to believing the indoctrination, to believing in this manufactured reality that has been created for them, the Jetsons future, AI. Oh, they're going to have little, you know, diodes put in our brain, electronic impulses that will help us think and stuff. And, you know, pretty soon they'll have, you know, a 3D printing of the human brain and it'll be just like consciousness and all of this just horse shit. And you want to say, no, they're not. That's, you know, they can't even define consciousness. And um, technology has been way overrated in many respects. Um, and, and uh, but it's these people that believe fervently in it. And, uh, see you know elon musk as a as a genius and and uh gates and who believe in silicon valley believe in ai believe in this digital future that is infallible and will somehow be self-perfecting at a certain point and i mean i'm here to say absolutely it will not it's that's just not going to happen that's just not true uh and so uh I think it's only a part of the population that wants to believe that story. And maybe I'm wrong, you know, I don't know. I really don't. Uh, but that's my sense of, and maybe I'm, maybe it's wishful thinking, but uh, I yeah. think there are a right. lot of people that don't buy it, but, but they are the less visible people. Yeah, the, I agree. 
Well, you know? I mean, if you don't believe and if you don't comply, um, well, we, we you get uh, economic pressure. Uh, that's how things work within yeah. capitalist hierarchy. So, uh, in a sense, it it sort of doesn't matter. Maybe um, you know that's going to create more. Uh, divisions and uh, um, uh, anger, frustration, which will not go up to fight the system. It will be among us fighting, you know, making us fight each other. And um, um, and the, the whole thing, the John made a great point about um, there are only a certain amount of small amount numbers of people um, trying to manipulate and the fact that we have these elaborate schemes, elaborate conspiracies, elaborate ways to manipulate people is that they need those stories to sure. yeah, sure. in the cage. So this is something we really need to remember. You know, when people ask, why do they need to do stuff like that? That's crazy, that's conspiracy. Uh, they need to do it because they are not many, you know. Well, this yeah, the, this is um, this is such a huge topic, and and you know, one the whole conspiracy theory thing is what's funny is because I've seen a couple of articles recently about the Great Reset that were that were describing it pretty well and and reasonably critical of it and these were not political thinkers not not theorists not philosophers or anything they were just kind of smart guys that wrote you know what they understood of schwab's vision and said gosh there really seems to be some flaws in here and both articles pointed out that there are a lot of people that don't see those flaws that think it's a glorious future being described and it is on that kind of fulcrum um, that that a lot of discussion and education has to take place um, because it's not a conspiracy. I mean, Klaus Schwartz out in the open. We know what it is. It's not hidden. It was on the cover of Time magazine, for Christ's sake. Um, and, and sometimes when I mention the Great Reset to people and Klaus Schwab, they'll go, oh, that's a conspiracy. I see, no, it was on the cover of Time magazine. Like, really? It was? Like, well, yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not a secret. It's not a conspiracy. It's an it's a open public plan. This is the idea, guys. And, um, and often they'll be surprised because they, you know, they're people that, that don't read a lot, even don't read what's on their screens often. Um, so, so this is, this is, this is a, a point for further analysis. If we're going to do another podcast, that's a good place to start, it seems to me, um, is exactly what the Great Reset is promising to do and why it won't. Um, and maybe we'll slowly wrap up. But Corey, I want, could you have a couple of final thoughts on that, on, on the reset? Because you're far better versed in it really than I am. Um, not really. I mean, I just right now, I, I feel like I really need to write about the whole, um, the whole targeting uh, of the youth and children as a demographic. I think that's where they're really, really looking at now. I could actually read something to you. Yeah. I know you like to be read to, John. 
I do. I okay. Do. So, okay. So I'll read this and then you guys guess um, what year and who it was. Okay. Mm. All right. When an, when an, when an opponent declares, I will not come to your side. I calmly say, your child belongs to us already. You will pass on. Your descendants, however, now stand in the new camp. In a short time, they will know nothing else but this new community. End. Yeah, well, I I... <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Hiroyuki. Yeah, that's the uh, Nazi, right? Yeah, that's the out of the School for Barbarians, 1938, quoting Adolf Hitler. That's exactly yeah. what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what they're doing. Yeah. And it's and echoing, think, it's echoing, it, it, it's echoing um, like Plato and stuff as well. And yes. Sun Tzu and a number of other things. You can hear the echoes, but right. The Nazis, I described George Monbiot as a Nazi on Twitter today. And somebody said, oh, he is not. Why do you think he's a Nazi? And I thought, God, I don't have enough characters to write all the reasons i think george <laughs> is a nazi but that you know the the relevance of national socialism can't be um can't be overstated right now uh it's absolutely uh hugely relevant and on target that was great that was both a reading and a game Corey. <laughs> so that was fun really, really we special can, we can do that for each um each one we do yeah. yeah, that's great. Okay, listen, um, we'll wrap up. Uh, uh, let's do another one soon because uh, people ask me for more and um, we're getting a lot of views, listens, I guess. And um, uh, we're not doing anything else, I guess, are we? So uh, take care and um, I will be in touch and this will be up um, on uh, SoundCloud, Aesthetic Resistance on SoundCloud. Very soon, thanks to Jack Littman, um, the uh, boy genius who does all the AI stuff for us. Thank you, Jack. And um, take care, Hiroyuki. Take care, Corey. I'll be in touch. We'll talk soon. Thank you, John. Bye. Bye-bye.